on-demand coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Tuesday edition, PFT PM. How's it going? 12 days until Super Bowl 53. Going to Atlanta on Sunday. Going to be broadcasting live every morning from Radio Row, wherever it is, World Congress Center, something like that. Every year it's the same thing. I'm not complaining. I'm just giving you an idea of how it works. We fly to a city that, in many cases, I've never been to before, although some of these Super Bowls have been in places where I had previously been. I've never been to Atlanta. So, other than to go through the airport, because, like, every connecting flight ends up in Atlanta, it seems like. So, we'll get to Atlanta, we'll go to the hotel, and then on Sunday when we get there, I'll meet someone from NBC and we'll make the walk, however far it may or may not be. Some years it's really far, some years it's really close, and you go to where the set will be for PFT Live, and you see it for the first time, and sometimes you're thrilled with it, sometimes you're just simply happy with it, but at all times there's a sense of newness. You're opening a present on Christmas morning. You don't know what to expect, and it's neat to go and see a TV set that's got your brand on it that you pulled out of your hat or your butt 18 years ago and cameras and lights and everything's professional and you just start going the next day and it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, more and more activity as the week unfolds. And before you know it, even though at times during, it feels like you're going to collapse because you're on all the time. And again, it beats the hell out of working for a living, but the week at the Super Bowl is really stressful from the standpoint of you always have to be on. You know, sometimes I just like to get away from everything, get away from everyone and focus on generating content for the website. And the week of Super Bowl, given all the things we do down there, it becomes a challenge to generate as much content as I would like. And I just kind of get the, I guess it's almost like going through withdrawal, like because we're, we're in that studio, we're in that space so much all day, every day, I don't get the opportunity to generate content, check on the website, see how traffic's doing, make sure that we're covering every story that needs to be covered in the way it needs to be covered. So it, it is kind of a weird, I'm, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. And that week every year completely turns my habits and my standard practices upside down. But when Friday night rolls around, that's when you can kind of decompress on years when we don't have the Super Bowl on NBC. When we have the Super Bowl on NBC, that's when it all just gets started. But on the years where we don't have the Super Bowl, Friday night is a good feeling. Friday night, you relax, have a nice dinner, have a couple drinks. Saturday, that becomes kind of like a normal day where you just relax and work on the website and start thinking about the game the next day and doing all the things that that uh, you need to do to get ready for the game on Sunday. Sunday, one of the rare days where we end up having at least five members of the PFT staff in the same place at the same time. Shereen Williams, MDS, Darren Gant, Josh Alper, and me will be there. Some years, Curtis Crabtree is there as well. But uh, it'll be fun. We're looking forward to it. And uh, looking forward to making the trip. Looking forward to being there. Looking forward to all the interviews that we have lined up. We're going to have some great guests next week. We're going to have Chris Sims on PFT Live all week long. Peter King's going to be there. We're going to have other people around. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Anyway, I've just wasted five minutes of your life talking about me. Sorry. But this is on my mind now because we're finalizing travel arrangements. This week is always stressful in a different kind of way because I know what's coming. Like once it starts, it's okay. But that four or five days of this is what is happening, this is what we're going to be doing, it 
it kind of throws you off kilter a little bit. It's not a normal week. I just want to have a normal week, and the normal week will be once we get back from the Super Bowl, and someone will be carrying that silver trophy, either the Patriots or the Rams. It won't be the Saints, though. And I, I was kind of amused and kind of irritated by the lawsuit that was filed by this Frank Damico in New Orleans, ostensibly to overturn the outcome of the NFC Championship game. This is just a publicity stunt, folks. And yes, I'm salty because he copied and pasted content from our story about Rule 17 without any attribution. It just was weird. Like, write your own damn press release, dude. You're a lawyer. You write shit all the time. Get your computer out and write a press release. What the hell are you doing copying and pasting someone's work product and calling it your press release with no attribution it's the weirdest thing and i'll tell you what it makes me question his legal skills it makes me think that this is a guy who just copies and pastes so much without attribution that he he thinks it's no big deal and when you're a lawyer i'll tell you something what you do you end up copying pasting a lot of your own stuff a lot of your own work because you use it over and over and over and over again. Similar cases, similar issues, similar questions, similar this, similar that. And it's a hell of a lot more efficient, especially when you're not being paid by the hour, to copy and paste your own stuff, which is fine. But what the hell are you doing? A press release consisting of paragraphs after paragraphs copied from the story that we wrote on Sunday night about Rule 17. And it's clear that this lawsuit is fueled by Rule 17, the provision that gives the commissioner broad authority to overturn the outcome of a game or order a complete do-over of a game or tell the two teams we're going back to this specific spot where the thing happened that was extraordinarily unfair and we are then moving forward and doing it again. So that lawsuit was filed again. I'm not, I'm just not, I, I just question the motives. And here's why I have the biggest questions about the motives. Because if you're going to do this, if you're going to do this thing, if you're going to file this lawsuit and you want to try to force the commissioner to order a do-over and it's Tuesday and the Super Bowl's 12 days away. Well, job number one is getting a hearing ASAFP in front of a judge seeking emergency relief, whatever you would call it. And I know the legal system in Louisiana is a little bit different than the rest of the country. They've got different protocols, different procedures, but ultimately it's the same idea. It's just a question of figuring out what to call it, what the document is labeled, what you have to say to put the ball on the tee. And I'm sure Frank Damico has copied and pasted enough of his own work and other people's work that he knows how to put that all together. And again, I'm not bitter. I'm just, I'm just pissed so whatever it would be called you need an emergency hearing now it needs to be today at four o'clock and you can do it ex parte meaning the other side isn't represented you can go in and say this is so egregious and unless and until the nfl explains why rule 17 wasn't used there should be an order commanding the nfl to restage the game at the superdome on sunday at whatever time, do it after the Pro Bowl, before the Pro Bowl, during the Pro Bowl, who cares? You get somebody something to watch other than the friggin' Pro Bowl. But you need to get to court now. You need to have a hearing now because what will happen is if you have any luck whatsoever, and who knows, with a, a an elected judge, right, what, what better way to set yourself up for life or the alternative, depending upon how you rule on this this hearing and on this motion 
to force the NFL to have a do-over. So you need the initial ruling now so that the appeal process can unfold between Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And you know the NFL, if they encountered any adverse ruling in this case, they would they would move heaven and earth or heaven and hell to ensure that that ruling doesn't stand and that there isn't a do-over. And hell, we may end up in the Supreme Court of the United States by the time Sunday rolls around with emergency actions and filings and this and that. But it all has to get started now for any of that to happen. The fact that Frank D'Amico, in a video where he taunts Roger Goodell, and it does come off as unprofessional, and I know I'm the former lawyer and I'm not very professional, but regardless, I'm, I'm still pissed about the press release. It comes off as unprofessional. He's taunting Roger Goodell. He suggests that the game was rigged at one point, which it's not rigged. It's just incompetence. But either way, in that video, D'Amico discloses that the hearing, the first hearing, has been set for next Monday. Well, that ain't going to do a damn thing from the perspective of potentially forcing the NFL to redo the Rams-Saints-NFC championship game because the Super Bowl is set for Sunday. You got six days to work all this out, including redoing the game. It's just not going to happen. It's impossible. There's no way that kind of relief would be granted. The only way you have any chance, and even then, it would be very difficult. Even if there was a hearing on, ongoing right now, it would be very difficult to get a judge to to agree that they should compel this. Waiting until Monday makes it impossible, and it makes me more convinced it's a publicity stunt. Now, why would Frank D'Amico want this kind of publicity? Think about in your own local markets. And, and not all that long ago in the grand scheme of things, the lawyer advertising that we see everywhere was regarded as unacceptable. State bar associations prevented it. They thought it was unseemly for lawyers to advertise. So what lawyers would do, they would look for cases that would give them natural publicity. That was your advertising. You get your name in the paper. You get your name on the news. A lot of lawyers would run for local office, so they end up being quoted. Jackson, a local lawyer specializing in bankruptcy law, commented on the outcome of the county commissioner hearing as follows. And that's the way you'd have your name out there in circulation. That's how it worked. Well, what better way to separate yourself from that flood of advertising that you see in every market? There's a Saul Goodman in every market. And in most markets, there are multiple Saul Goodmans. And some of the commercials I see, it's like, first of all, who is coming up with these things? And secondly, why would I want those people representing me? You're better off with print ads. Don't talk. Don't get on camera. Don't give us an audition of what you'd actually do in court, please. But for Damico, this is great advertising for him. All those people in New Orleans, I want that guy that's fighting the NFL. I'm not going to do my Cajun accent because it's not very good. I want that guy that's fighting the NFL. That's who I want. I was injured in a car accident, but I'm not calling that bozo that's got a talking dog in his commercial, or he's standing on top of a tractor trailer, or he's pretending to fly an airplane, a biplane with a big scarf that's blowing in the wind because there's a fan in the room or whatever other bullshit that you see. I want the guy who's fighting the NFL. I want the guy who's giving Roger Goodell hell. Remember, they still hate him down there from Bounty Gate. If I was Roger Goodell, I'd never go back. And if I'm an NFL game official, I never want to be assigned to a game there. I don't think they forget this one very quickly or very easily. But the bottom line is this lawsuit, in my assessment, is a publicity stunt, and it's never going to go anywhere. Now, I've had some people 
point out to me that Rule 17, Section 2, Extraordinarily Unfair Acts, there are three articles in Section 2. One gives the commissioner the authority to take action, his sole authority to investigate and take appropriate disciplinary and or corrective measures if there is any action, club action, non-participant interference, or calamity that the commissioner deems so extraordinarily unfair or outside the accepted tactics encountered in professional football that such action has a major effect on the result of the game. That's Article 1. Article 3 sets forth what the commissioner can do. The commissioner has the ability to impose fines, draft choice forfeitures, suspensions, and if appropriate, the reversal of a game's result or the rescheduling of a game, either from the beginning or from the point at which the extraordinary act occurred. Now, in between those two articles is Article 2. I'm going to read Article 2 to you. I'm going to tell you what some think it means, and then I'm going to explain why it doesn't mean that. Article 2, no club protests is the name of said article. The authority and the measures provided for in this entire Section 2 do not constitute a protest machinery for NFL clubs to avail themselves of in the event a dispute arises over the result of a game. The investigation called for in this Section 2 will be conducted solely on the Commissioner's initiative to review an act or occurrence that the Commissioner deems so extraordinary or unfair that the result of the game in question would be inequitable to one of the participating teams. The Commissioner will not apply authority in cases of complaints by clubs concerning judgmental errors or routine errors or omission by game officials. Games involving such complaints will continue to stand as completed. Now, someone sent me an article from businessinsider.com from 2012, the Fail Mary game. And the argument at the time was the commissioner could use Rule 17 to change the outcome of the game because the blunder at the end, the pass interference call that wasn't called, isn't that what it was? It was a blatant push-off by Golden Tate, and he caught the ball, and the Seahawks beat the Packers, that the commissioner could have overturned that outcome. And it was pointed out there, this language of Article 2, well, there's nothing in Article 2. See, you have to read it carefully. There's nothing in Article 2 that prevents the commissioner from coming to his own conclusion that there was a judgmental error or routine error or omission by game officials that would cause him to conclude that it was extraordinary. This is written in terms of complaints being made by clubs. You can't file a protest and initiate Rule 17. Rule 17 solely gets initiated by the commissioner. And if they wanted to write Article 2 to say that this article and this this rule never applies in the in, in the event of judgment errors. That's what it could have said. But Article 2, no club protests under Rule 17, Section 2, it only speaks in terms of what a team can do to initiate. Because what the NFL doesn't want is to have to, basically, it's a complaint box, right? The NFL doesn't want that. The NFL doesn't want a mechanism where Every time somebody is pissed off about a call that's made or not made at the end of the game, they file a Rule 17 motion to redo the end of the game, and the NFL has to deal with it. The NFL has the ability through the commissioner's office to deal with it if it chooses to, but there is no mechanism in place for a team to initiate it. I, I hope I've explained that properly. There's a good chance I haven't, but the point is, this is not a device for a team to file a protest, but it's still a device for the commissioner on his own to say, well, that team got screwed, and I'm going to do something about it. And Article 2 could have been written in a way to remove from the equation. If anything, you could make the argument that Article 2 
confirms the existence of authority to overturn the outcome of a game, to have a do-over with 149 left on the clock and the Saints first and goal from the five-yard line, as long as the commissioner decides to do it on his own. The commissioner will not apply authority in cases of complaints by clubs concerning judgmental errors or routine errors of omission by game officials. This will not apply in cases of complaints by clubs. The commissioner can do it on his own. There's no device for making a complaint and forcing the commissioner to say, no, thank you, or yes, you've got a good point there, we will do it. They don't want to have a people's court where every week there's two or three cases that Doug Llewellyn is emceeing and Judge Wapner's got to make the decision as to whether or not a game's going to be redone. That would open the floodgates. And haven't we all experienced at some point that a game was being played under protest? Like, that ever made a damn bit of difference? No protest. That's all it means. And it's called no club protests. It's not called no relief for routine errors. So I, I still think that there is an opportunity for for some sort of relief in these situations and uh we'll see if it ever happens if anything ever crosses the line if anything ever comes up that would carry this to the point where it would become a thing and become an issue and become a do-over or a new game i think that it would take something far beyond anything we can even envision somebody running out of the stands and tripping someone and the officials not seeing it or maybe somebody having a clear shot at a touchdown on the last play of a game. And I, I don't know. I, uh, let, let's think about that. There's a guy running to the end zone. Well, th- th- there's authority to give the person the score. If someone's running to the end zone, uh, l- let's, let's try this. Someone's running free to the end zone. And somebody from the sideline who's a member of the staff of the opposing team sticks a leg out and trips the guy, and the officials don't see it. Oh, oh let's say they do see it, Okay. If they don't see it, then that's easy. Oh, they go, game over. Guy tripped and fell. Oh, that's a shame. Sucks to be you. And we all see that that happened. The commissioner can say he would have scored the touchdown. Or the commissioner can say, well, I think that's the only fair outcome. That's the only fair outcome. And I guess the other way that this could get screwed up would be if the officials misapply the rule. And if the officials decide they're not going to call it a touchdown, they're just going to give the team an untimed down from the spot where the guy fell and they don't score, that's not fair either. I'm just brainstorming here without really thinking about it in advance, which you can tell I haven't thought about it in advance based upon the quality of my ideas. But maybe it would be something like that, but we just don't know. And I asked the NFL for uh, an explanation yesterday, what kind of thing would it take to invoke Rule 17? You know, they're, they're just not responding to anybody on any of this stuff. That's the only good thing that comes out of Frank Damico's publicity stunt, that if this does go forward... And if he can sufficiently copy and paste enough legal precedent together from other briefs that he can find online, apparently. Maybe I'll write one for him and post it on the website and he can copy and paste it. But if they can do this the right way, they can maybe pressure the NFL to do what the NFL isn't doing on its own, which is to answer direct questions about what it was that did or didn't happen, that should or shouldn't happen, that will or won't happen, and that could or couldn't happen in the future to result in Rule 17 being activated for some game in the future. I've said way too much about this thing. I, it just the, the whole thing fascinated me and irritated me all at once. And when I saw that the hearing isn't going to be until Monday, that's when I realized that this is a publicity stunt and this is not in any way, shape, or form going to result 
in a do-over of the NFC Championship game. So to the extent that you think it may happen, it ain't happening. To the extent that maybe there's some mechanism there to force the NFL to answer tough questions, maybe that will happen and maybe that would be a good thing if it in fact did happen. All right. Let's move on to other things happening in the National Football League today. I saw that Bob Sutton is out as the defensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. Somebody tweeted that if D. Ford had lined up on side, Bob Sutton would still have a job. Well, yeah, he'd be getting ready for the Super Bowl, but there's no guarantee that he was going to keep his job after the Super Bowl. Could have lost that job. Could have been fired after the Super Bowl. Win or lose. Now, if they had won, it probably would have been called a retirement or something like that, but I... I, I don't think Bob Sutton's tenure in Kansas City was going to be secured if D. Ford hadn't lined up offside in the fourth quarter of that game. And now the idea that Rex Ryan may get back into the mix. And and look, where's Rex Ryan work? ESPN. Who reported it? ESPN. I'll believe it when I see it. If Andy Reid hires Rex Ryan, then Andy Reid really is desperate. Because I don't think you need Rex Ryan. And I don't think it gets leaked if Rex Ryan isn't okay with it being leaked. I think Rex Ryan is dismayed that no one has shown any interest in hiring him as a head coach. All these coaches are confident to the point of delusional. But Rex Ryan and Andy Reid together again, I just don't, not again, I just don't know that, that Andy Reid would want a guy like Rex Ryan around. And I think Andy Reid, look at the two personality types. Now, I, I will give Ryan this. When he was a defensive coordinator in Baltimore before he became the Jets head coach, he was not the loud and proud and boisterous guy that his brother always has been when his brother was an assistant coach. So maybe Rex can slide back into a, a less conspicuous role. I don't know. But they need somebody to apply a foot to the ass of that defense. And at this point of the game, who's available? Right? There are others who have already committed to being defensive coordinators that maybe didn't realize that job was going to be open who would have been potentially great defensive coordinators. So at this point, the pickings are slim. Now, look, if, and this is always a little bit, a little bit risky. If the Chiefs knew they were going in this direction, they could have gotten the word out discreetly. But the problem is you have to trust that somebody's going to keep their mouth shut. And can you imagine if there had been a Sunday splash report that the Chiefs are going to fire Bob Sutton at the end of the run, whenever the run ends? They're actively exploring other defensive coordinators. Or like if Todd Bowles hadn't taken a job with Washington or with Tampa, people start wondering, well, what's Todd Bowles waiting for? And I'm just throwing that out as an example. So uh, it, it would be a scene if Rex Ryan ends up running the Chiefs defense. And look, they have some talented players on that defense. And maybe that's what they need. Maybe you just do the deal with the devil and you run the risk that this guy's going to be a little bit too loud, a little bit too much, a little bit too over the top. You, you hope that he isn't but you recognize that maybe he can put together the kind of defense that you can that you can complement that incredible offense with and that the balance that comes out of that process ends up creating a Super Bowl champion. And I think they're close. I mean, between uh, of all the four teams that we saw this weekend in the conference championship games, I think the Chiefs are the most likely to be back there next year and they're the most likely to win a Super Bowl next year. I'd make them the favorite to win Super Bowl 54. And we'll see what kind of of kicking the ass they get from having that that deflating and devastating loss in overtime of the AFC Championship game. Well, one more word about overtime procedures. I don't know how much I talked about this yesterday. I've been talking about it on podcasts, radio shows, PFT Live, whatever. I don't like the fact that a team can drive down the field, score a touchdown, and walk off in a postseason game 
Regular season, I'm fine with that. And I don't know why there has to be the same rules in the postseason and the regular season anyway. Make it true sudden death in the regular season. But ensure that both teams have an opportunity to possess the ball in the postseason. If we're going to do this kickoff and plays from scrimmage and you may have to go 80 yards, 75 yards, 70 yards, whatever, give both teams a chance. It's just not fair. It doesn't feel fair. And most of the people, and I probably did say this yesterday, most of the people who would argue, oh, well, just make a stop. Those are the same people who piss and moan about how the rules are skewed in favor of the offense. See, you can't have it both ways. You can't get all indignant about defenses. Oh, you got to make a stop and get off the field. And then also complain about how the rules favor offense. That's why both teams should get an opportunity. Because the rules do favor offense. And whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, both teams should get an opportunity to do something with the ball. Period. And if it's too cumbersome to kick off and then take seven minutes to drive down the field and score a touchdown and kick off and do it again. I'm a big proponent of just putting the ball at the 10-yard line. First and goal, go. It's not football my ass. It's football. Go. So we did plow this ground yesterday, but the problem is they're not going to do anything about it. It happened in the Super Bowl two years ago. Patriots and Falcons in Houston. It happened in the AFC Championship game again this year also with the Patriots. I think that would be enough of a reason for the NFL to change the rule. The only team that's taken advantage of it in a single elimination setting so far is the Patriots. Maybe if we frame it that way, they'll change the rule. The Patriots are the team that's benefiting from this rule. Hey, NFL, you don't like the Patriots. Why don't you change the rule? I I posted the item earlier today about the tweet that Chase Goodbread, who does college football type news for NFL.com, posted about Alex Locke, the Missouri quarterback, not Alex Locke, Drew Locke. I keep saying Alex Locke, Drew Locke, the Missouri quarterback who supposedly was questioned about a math test he cheated on in the ninth grade. And I, 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 don't, I don't know. Am I getting soft as I get older? I think part of it is my son is now as old as a lot of these kids, older than some of the kids that are in the NFL. I think my son's older than Juju Smith-Schuster. And I, I just don't like the way that these kids get treated. And I, I wish I could say I didn't like it 10, 12 years ago. I mean, there was a time where I just was part of the the draft machinery, that this is all compelling news and and, and this is information that we must know. and, and, And it's all fair game because it's an honor to be drafted. And at some point in the past few years, the switch just flipped for me. And I realized that, you know, the argument that Jeff Kessler made back in 2011 during the lockout, that the antitrust lawsuit that came as a result of the lockout after the union disclaimed interest or decertified, whichever term you prefer to use, that the antitrust lawsuit against the league's overall compensation rules would include an attack on the draft. And I remember thinking, well, that's un-American to attack the draft. And then the more I've thought about it over the past several years, it's un-American to have a draft. It's un-American to tell people where they're going to work, let them pick their employer. And how different this process would be if these were recruits, not potential draft picks. Because you can treat people who don't have any say in where they go a hell of a lot differently than you can treat people who actually can say, screw you, I'm not coming to work for your crappy company because you're asking me about a, about a math test I cheated on seven years ago. I just don't like it. And there's nothing we can do about it. You know, every once in a while, there's a question that crosses the line and the NFL wrings its hands and huffs and puffs. And what did happen? Well, remember Darius Geis, all that stuff last year, they investigated. And I think Geis 
unfortunately, did a disservice to the entire effort to ensure fair treatment of these players by, I don't want to say lying, but exaggerating, embellishing. Remember, he, he was on Sirius XM NFL radio, and there was a question about whether or not he had been asked about whether he likes men or something like that. That's something that comes up every few years. Well, I think the NFL was pissed about that. The NFL looked into it, and ultimately the NFL decided that his stories were too inconsistent to believe that it happened. But, you know, every once in a while, that gets sparked. And uh, I, I don't see him ever making the kind of changes they need to make. They don't have to, as long as there's a draft. As long as you get to call dibs one after another on this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, then the teams can act the way that they act. When your battery loses its power, you lose your ability to get out, get around, and get things done. When it's time to replace your battery, trust the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts to help you choose the super start battery that's an exact fit for your vehicle. Whether it's reliable economy, hardworking premium, or powerful extreme, O'Reilly Auto Parts has a super start battery you need at a guaranteed low price. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Let's see what else is happening here before I answer your questions. Boy, I've already been droning on and on here for, feels like a half hour. It has been a half hour. John Elway says reviewing pass interference won't work. God, here we go. You know, the worst run billion-dollar business in the NFL. No replay review of pass interference. When are they going to address the suggestion that I've been making for four years? Video official who is essentially a referee emeritus, Gene Steratore, Terry McCauley, Ed Hockley, instead of having those people leave and work on TV, they work in front of TVs, watching all the angles and talking to the referee and saying, throw a flag, there was interference. Throw a flag, there was a face mask. Pick up that flag, there wasn't roughing the passer, there was no forcible contact with the head or neck area of Tom Brady, whatever it may be. That's how you do it. And I don't believe i mean elway says you can't replay every pass interference that, that that's not what people are saying do these guys not pay attention all i know john elway's working at the senior bowl looking for a quarterback and that's probably a bigger priority but i wish that they would be careful with what they say because these opinions are going to shape the media coverage and they're going to help create this sense that the nfl does not know what the hell it's doing and let me stop for a second and say this People will say to me, why do you hate the NFL? I don't hate the NFL. I love professional football. At times, I hate how the sport is run by the governing body at 345 Park Avenue. And it astounds me at times how successful this sport can be when I feel like no one at 345 Park Avenue, starting with the commissioner and working on downward, know what the hell they are doing. These are easy things to figure out. I think that there's a combination of fear that if they change something, there will be Drum roll, please. Unintended consequences. We cannot have unintended consequences. God forbid there be unintended consequences. Well, you know what? If you had any ability to sit in a room and project and think and have a realistic discussion where it's cooperative and and they and, and instead of people worrying about who gets credit for this and who's got this agenda, who's got what agenda, who's trying to twist the rules in their favor, let's have real discussions about what would happen. If we had this video official who was essentially that conduit from 345 Park Avenue to the referee at every game site, charged with the ability to help on everything, everything, you're a member of the crew, and instead of being among the gladiators, you are sitting in a booth able to see all of the angles that are being piped into that booth and also out to the rest of the world because the rest of the world is seeing all of that. And the rest of the world can't understand how in the hell the people in black and white stripes out there on the field don't see what we see. 
And one of the reasons they don't see it is it happens too damn fast. I think that's ultimately what happened on Sunday. How many times do we see an official looking right at a play and either doesn't see that a guy gets both feet down or he does get both feet down or he gets hit early or he doesn't get hurt early? It happens all the time because it happens too fast. So take advantage of the technology. Why won't they do it? Why won't they do it? Are they afraid of unintended consequences? Do they not want to give anyone on the outside who may have an idea how they can improve their product the the, I, I don't know, the, the, the credence, the satisfaction. If they would adopt what I'm suggesting, well, they have to worry about me thumping my chest saying, yeah, I, I've, uh, I, no, I, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help. Don't circle the wagons here, people. Don't go hide under the bed. Open the doors and welcome any ideas for improving your product. They say they want to improve their product. I think they just want to protect their turf. It irritates the hell out of me. John Gruden would love to have Marshawn Lynch back. Well, we'll see what happens there. I think if they're not going to be in Oakland, Marshawn Lynch isn't coming back to the Raiders. Bill Belichick says Aaron Donald is pretty much unblockable. Yes, yes, he is. Just scrolling through the things that are going on in the NFL today. Jerry Jones is still undecided on play caller and offensive job titles, although John Kitna former NFL quarterback, is joining the staff. Jerry Jones said, we are still in the throes of evaluation. We're in no hurry. Remember last week when Jones refused to make any guarantees or assurances about the coaching staff, saying we may have an opportunity next week that we don't have this week? And I thought that, number one, he was talking about Jason Garrett. Number two, he may be talking about trying to get Sean Payton. Now, if if Jones is out there hiring staff members and then he's going to fire Jason Garrett and try to hire Sean Payton. That would be weird, right? Unless, and look, if, if something big is coming, and it would be huge, and I'm not saying it is, but I just don't think you can rule out anything in today's NFL because there's always things happening behind the scenes. What if Payton's okay with Kitna? What if, what if Kitna's a Payton hire, not a Garrett hire? What if they're just setting it all up for what Jones is going to try to do? If he's going to try to do it, it's going to happen this week. I can't see this lingering beyond this coming weekend because step one would be to fire Jason Garrett and then tell the world, yeah, you know, I reserve the right to change my mind at any time. I change my mind about Jason. We decide it's a mutual decision to move on. And Jason issues a statement just like Scott Linehan did last week. And then the Cowboys start doing a search. But if that would happen, if that would happen now, just days after the Saints lost in the NFC Championship game, I think it would be an avalanche of reporting, speculation, rumor, etc., that Sean Payton's the guy that Jerry Jones is going to try to hire. And and frankly, I don't think Jerry Jones would fire Jason Garrett unless he has a wink-nod deal in place with the Saints as to what it would take to get Payton and a wink-nod deal in place with Payton as to what it would take for Payton to take the job. And one thing we saw last week, when it, or last year rather, when it comes to the hiring of John Gruden by the Raiders, even if the owner flat out says, I had a verbal agreement in place with the coach before I fired the coach that I had, there's a way to stick handle around the Rooney rule because it wasn't an actual agreement that was negotiated by the lawyers and signed by the parties. They're always going to find ways around the Rooney rule. Now, would the NFL look the other way now, considering that it's going to be at best one of eight minority head coaches in this cycle and very low representation of minorities in the GM positions? I don't know. But... Jerry Jones is going to do whatever Jerry Jones wants to do. And if he wants Sean Payton, damn it, he's going to get Sean Payton. It's that simple. 
All right, let me tell you a little bit about our friends at OnDeck. You've heard about them before, but if you haven't gone to OnDeck.com slash PFT, you need to do so. This is a website for small business owners that may need help managing their cash flow, hiring employees, purchasing inventory, or upgrading office space. In these days, getting access to capital can be very challenging and time-consuming for small business owners. Most traditional banks lack the technology and the resources to truly understand a small business, and they'd rather just lend to larger, more established businesses anyway. OnDeck is committed to helping small business owners with fast, easy, and tailored financing. You can get your funding in as fast as 24 hours with term loans up to $500,000 and lines of credit up to $100,000, none of which require business collateral. OnDeck has loaned more than $10 billion to more than 80,000 small business owners. So if you are a small business owner and you need access to capital, go to OnDeck.com slash PFT right now. And as a listener to the PFTPM podcast, you'll get a free consultation with one of the OnDeck U.S.-based loan specialists. Apply online or by phone and get approved in minutes. Go to ondeck.com slash PFT. That's O-N-D-E-C-K dot com slash PFT for your free consultation now. All right, let's see what we have by way of questions on this Tuesday PFT PM podcast. I still don't know what we're doing next week with the PFT PM podcast. We're going to have plenty of interviews and I'll probably find time to just tee up the interviews one after another. May not be able to answer many questions, but we'll do our best. Let's see how many I can answer today. I'm looking through some of these. Some of these I've already answered. Like the first question I see, what scenario, if there even is one, can you imagine the NFL invoking Rule 17, Section 2, Article 1? We've already talked about that. PFTPM policy, is there a realistic way to keep the officiating the same in the playoffs as the regular season? The rules and flags should be the same. Look, look, there's deficiencies in the regular season as well. My argument has been, for four years, video official, who's part of the crew, who is an extra set of eyes, who is there to bridge the gap between what the officials see when they're on the field and what we see when we're watching the game at home. It's that simple. PFTPM Posse, also via Dr. J144. If Andy Reid is right that officials selectively warn players about penalties and chose not to warn D. Ford when he lined up offside, isn't that a really dangerous thing to do? Officials could easily be accused of favoring certain players or teams. Look, I, I've, you know, I like Andy Reid, and I think he's eventually going to get a Super Bowl championship. Some would listen to his comments from yesterday and say that's a cop out. I mean, could you imagine Bill Belichick saying, well, you know, he should have gotten a warning. Some guys get warnings. I mean, Bill Belichick would say he got to line up. We work on that all the time. Think about all the things you can't do in the offseason, contact, full pads, two-a-days, all that. But one thing you can do over and over and over again in the offseason, training camp, preseason, you make sure guys are lined up. And, and isn't that the easiest part of the job? Line up. Line up where you're supposed to. There's where the ball is spotted. Go line up where you're supposed to line up. And D. Ford failed to do it, and look, I don't know that that decided the game, but boy, if he hadn't been lined up offside on that play, it's a far different game because the Chiefs would have had uh, the Patriots right where they wanted him. It would have been very difficult for the Patriots to come back. Another one, PFTPM Posse and also Dr. J144. I don't understand how pass interference is a judgment call. Isn't it objective if a defender hits, grabs, or forcibly contacts a receiver before the ball contacts said receiver? I think there's enough objectivity to make it easily revealable, and I agree. Now, when you're talking about receiver and defensive back running stride for stride as the ball's in the air and you see jostling, I think it's a judgment call as to whether it was enough jostling to be interference. But in many occasions, pass interference happens with a clear 
early blow before the ball arrives. Clear. We saw it on Sunday. There's nothing subjective about it. It's a very simple analysis. Had the ball arrived yet? No. Did the defensive player wipe out the receiver before the ball arrived? Yes. It's a two-step flow chart. There's no judgment there. I get sick of hearing that. Oh, it's a judgment call. That's just a cop-out because, again, what does the league office want to do? The, the league office wants to do what it wants to do, and it doesn't want anyone to tell it to do things differently. This is the way we want to do it. And it's a product of years and years and years of the good old boy network, and you scratch my back, and we want things our way, and different people have different power, and they they have these strange human dynamics that happen at these meetings, and the force of personality of some outweighs the ability of others to persuade their colleagues whether it's owners, GMs, coaches, whatever, that this is the right thing to do. And it's no way to run a billion-dollar business. But that's what happens. That just shows you how strong the product is, that they can completely screw up the management of the sport and still print money. But you know what? If they'd get their act together, they'd be printing a lot more. Recliner QB with the Chiefs making it one game away from Super Bowl 53 and their D particularly DB, main reason they didn't make it. Do you think they regret trading Marcus Peters now? I, I don't think they regret it. I don't think they regret it. I, th- I think that they came to the conclusion that Peters wasn't going to be a long-term asset to that team. They decided to get what they could. And it's possible that he was disruptive internally and they just didn't know how to deal with the guy. And you know what? Maybe the the, the Rams won't keep him for very long either. And maybe he needed a guy like Akib Tlaib around. To, and I think I've seen reports to that effect. That the Tlaib does a lot to keep Peters in check. And uh, they clearly were at their wits. I remember when all those rumors started surfacing last year and all the Chiefs fans were up my butt calling it fake news that I was hearing that Peters could be traded. Remember that? Yeah. Jay Randall 15, any word on Sean Payton, Dallas, Jason Garrett extension? No, just the speculation that we've been throwing out there that I'm sure people think is all bullshit now. And if it ever happens, no one will say, hey, man, you were all over it. Not that I care. Not that I care. I'm here to equip fans with an idea of how the sausage possibly is getting made. Sometimes I know how it's getting made and I can say so. Sometimes I know how it's getting made and I have to hint at it. Sometimes I don't know how it's getting made and I'm just trying to connect dots and help people understand. I can't remember. There was a time recently where I was suggesting that maybe Mike McCarthy could end up in Seattle and one of the Seahawks blogs, guy was giving me a hard time like, you know, hey, when there's no news, speculate. Well, that's part of the fun, isn't it? Trying to figure out what's going to happen next. We know from history that all kind of weird shit can happen and does happen. Why not try to be ahead of that curve? Right? Almost a year ago, I was in Minnesota hearing constant rumblings that Josh McDaniels may not end up being the coach of the Colts. And, you know, did I did I have that nailed down and buttoned up? No, but I'll tell you what, I was hearing it from people I trust, and look what happened. That was the ultimate validation, that there is a way, if you choose your words carefully, and I can't be 100% certain that people are going to hear what we say and interpret it the right way. And I cringe from time to time when I see somebody in the media who I think knows better failing to properly heed the message that we're sending. But that was my validation, that if you use the right qualifiers and you explain it all the right way, there's plenty of stuff that the big J journalists who think that covering sports is like covering politics and it all has to be buttoned up and taken seriously, they'd never touch something like that. Well, you're doing a disservice to your audience because there's a way to couch it so people know ahead of time which way the puck is moving. And that's what we try to do. I don't know how I got down that rabbit hole. What's next? 
On the transfer, could the Saints make a play for Kyler Murray? Might Sean Payton might keep Sean Payton from leaving for the Browns or or the Cowboys? He did want Mahomes. Could enticing Murray from MLB with win now team? Yeah, I agree with all that. Look, I don't know what Sean Payton thinks of Kyler Murray, but I do know that Payton really liked Patrick Mahomes to the point where the Saints were ready to take Patrick Mahomes, a pick number 11 in 2017, until they were leapfrogged by the Chiefs. And I think the Chiefs moved to number 10 specifically because they knew that the Saints were going to take Patrick Mahomes at pick number 11. Because really, if you're the Chiefs, you'd rather not have to go all the way into the top 10 because now the fifth-year option for Patrick Mahomes, if it gets to that point, is going to be a lot higher than it would have been. That's the line of demarcation. When your top 10, the quarterback franchise tender is the high, not tender, the quarterback fifth-year option becomes the transition tender for the prior year. That's why this year it's like $20.8 million for Jameis Winston because he was... Uh, first overall pick in uh, in 2015. Same thing with Marcus Mariota. $20.8 million for him. But it's funny. People wring their hands about whether or not Winston should get $20.8 million. Nobody ever bats an eye about Mariota getting $20.8 million. Is he a $20 million a year guy? Well, he is now. Titans have to decide what they're going to do with Mariota long term. He's, he's not quite in Ryan Tannehill mode, but he's getting there. Where... You can't wait forever for a guy to declare himself as a franchise quarterback. He either is or he isn't. And I think five years probably is the window to come to the conclusion that he isn't. And then at that point, you have to think about your options. (laughs) Pardon me. Oh, I got a cough button. I didn't even press it. Terry Gensler 14 is the phillyvoice.com story, just a small potatoes version of the ESPN story about New England last year. Wentz isn't proven enough for local media to shy away from. Running a story about possible issues like Brady would be for Boston media. Look, I, I, I don't know what the dynamics were behind the curtain. Was Philly Voice trying to rush this to print before one of the other newspapers pushed it? Peter King raised that possibility today when I said, hey, you know what? It would have made more sense for phillyvoice.com to drop this story next Monday when everybody's in Atlanta at Radio Row looking for stuff to talk about and stuff to ask their guests about. Yesterday, that item about Carson Wentz just kind of fell into a black hole because we were dealing with the AFC and NFC championship games. It was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so people weren't at work. They weren't as engaged as they would be. Next Monday, they're going to be engaged, and there isn't going to be a lot of news. That's the problem with the first few days of Super Bowl week. There's often not much news. It would have been a great time to drop that Wentz story, but Peter pointed out if they were concerned that somebody else was going to have it or something like it, you better get it to print now. Sean Havishar, why do we need to replay the final 147 of the NFC Championship game? Can't we just ask Tony Romo what would have happened and take his word for it? I like it. Sean Havishar, hypothetically, if we had... I, do I, do I re- I'm not answering this question. Hypothetically, if we had an impulsive and reckless president who carries grudges, could he or she instruct the DOJ to look into the ending of the NFC title game to screw with the NFL during Super Bowl week? Uh, if we had an open government, yes... That's the problem. And and I think that there's a truce that's been called between Donald Trump and the NFL. I'm convinced of that. That that something happened. Some deal was done in a back room somewhere with scotch and cigars to get Donald Trump to leave the NFL alone. Because otherwise he would have been hounding the NFL all year about the kneeling. Because the kneeling continued. But for most people it didn't happen because the president wasn't talking about it happening. 
Sergio D. Sean Payton's getting roasted for his pass call on first down late in the game, but I read somewhere that Drew Brees audible out of the coach's call for a run. Is this correct? I don't know. I haven't seen that. And we're taking a closer look at Drew Brees' overall performance this year. There's a perception that he dropped off after week 12, 13, right around that Cowboys game. They had 45 points against the Rams, 51 against the Bengals, 48 against the Eagles. They had that game on Thanksgiving night where four different players who were undrafted caught touchdown passes. And then after that, it's like the Saints offense hit a brick wall. And some people are wondering whether or not there's something up with Breeze. Is he injured? Is it age? He had some open guys that he just flat out missed on Sunday. And I I don't know. With Breeze, we never obsess over that because he never talks about playing until he's 45. I think he's got a good sense of how to keep people off of his butt about whether or not Father Time is gaining ground on him because he doesn't revel in this idea that I'm playing. Hey, look at me. I'm 40 and I'm still playing football. Tom Brady does that. Drew Brees doesn't. And I don't know that Tom Brady deliberately does it, but the way that it all comes across, he's just answering questions, but he becomes such an obsession of the media that that we focus on that more with him than we do with Brees. Terry against the 14, have you ever gone on radio with Chris Russo? I don't think I've... I, I've been on with Francesa. I don't think I've been on with Russo. I appeared with Russo once on Morning Joe one morning back in 2013 or thereabouts. And then I think at one point when we used to do the sports talk show, the precursor to the afternoon PFT show, 2011 to 2013 time frame, whatever that show was called, I think it was called Sports Talk. God, I was there the night it debuted. It debuted on the first night of the 2011 season before the Packers... Saints game at Lambeau Field after the Packers won the Super Bowl. I remember Peter King was trying to do a thing there, you know, the microphone and uh, the the way they had the camera set up, the sun was right in his face. He couldn't see anything. Bad squinting. And what do you expect? The sun's right in the guy's face. But I just remember that. I remember like little flashes and moments of that night. But at some point in the life of that show, I think we had Russo in studio. Nice guy. Great guy. Peter King goes on radio with him all the time. I've never... Like, I don't politic for radio spots. Like, hey, hey, put me on your radio show. If somebody wants me, they want me. If they don't, they don't. I'd go on with him if you wanted me. I, I think he's an entertaining guy. I think he's got a great style. And when he gets, he gets worked up about, like, the most obscure thing, but he makes it entertaining. He knows how to draw it out, and he gets legitimately upset. I mean, if he's not legitimately upset, he should be in Hollywood because it seems like he's just legitimately pissed off. And that... <laughs> I haven't, I haven't workshopped that impersonation, but I think that's how it goes. Was that close? <laughs> Give me a sore throat. Dean Osborne, 42. Is it time for the NFL to get rid of the ridiculously outdated Super Bowl halftime concerts and replace them with something else? How about a skills challenge? No, 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 no. Here's what's happening, Dean. They have to have this, this multi-platform crossover pop culture event because they learned the hard way that if you go with the up with people singers, the fans are going to say up your ass NFL. We're going to watch in living color instead. Remember when that happened? When Fox had a live edition of in living color up against the Super Bowl before Fox got in the NFL business, Fox wouldn't do that now, right? You wouldn't have to worry about an NFL partner doing that now. If all of a sudden the halftime show sucked again, but somebody would do something. Somebody would put up programming, and I'd be tempted to put up counter-programming this year. Who cares about Maroon 5? Sorry, Maroon 5. Who cares about Maroon 5? All due respect. But uh, 
Yeah, they're going to continue to do this because they, they want to have the maximum audience for that 20 minutes and, and they don't want people flocking to another network for 20 minutes and then coming back. Let's see what else we have here. I should probably wrap this up. It's been about an hour. Dean Osborne, 42. Do you think the league is pleased or embarrassed about the Patriots dominating the AFC every year in an area where salary cap and free agency mean this shouldn't happen? Yeah, I don't think the league's happy about it. It was back in the 70s when Pete Rozelle was exasperated with Cowboys, Steelers, Cowboys, Steelers, maybe Raiders once in a while. But you want every team, every fan base to feel like they have a chance every year to get to the playoffs. And you want every team that gets to the playoffs to think it has a chance to get to the Super Bowl and win it. And when it's the Patriots... Eight straight years in the AFC Championship game. Four out of five years at the Super Bowl. That, that's not what the NFL wants. And, you know, people say, oh, it's rigged. If it was rigged, the Chiefs would have won that game on, on Sunday. The, the Chiefs would have won that coin toss. Heads I win, tails you lose. They would have found something. The, the NFL isn't rigged. They're not competent enough to pull off a rigging. And, and that should be both relieve and anger the NFL. PFT sponge with no advertising for marijuana. Is it safe to assume the next losing streak being snapped won't be celebrated by unlocking cases full of joints? I don't get it. I don't get it. There's no there's no advertising for medical marijuana on the CBS broadcast, but uh, I, I'm missing the reference. If there's a reference there, it's too obscure for this old man. John Kasich, after the Ray Rice handling the anthem issues and now this PI controversy, do you think it's time for Roger Goodell to go? Um, I don't know. Look, I think there are plenty of things he does well. I think what they've done with him, they've done with him what a good coach does with his players. A good coach uses his players for the things that they can do and finds a way to avoid having his players do the things that they can't do, right? Do what the guy does well and don't do the thing he doesn't do well. Because where's Roger Goodell? Anytime anything like this happens, they've gotten to a point where they've realized the best thing to do is just keep him locked in a closet. Now, can he negotiate deals? Can he keep the owners happy? Right? Somebody's got to keep the owners happy. Somebody's got to be the pincushion for the owners. And, and maybe at some point, there's a disconnect between being the pincushion for the owners and then hiding in the closet. But there, there are aspects of the job that he does well. But there are aspects of the job that have been problematic. And ultimately, it's not my call. How do you like that for a cop-out? It's not my call whether or not it's time for him to go. It's up to the 32 owners to want to keep Roger Goodell around, and so far they have. Will Lation, if not for the Trump circus, do you think the NFL would be facing a congressional investigation after the Saints debacle? And look, I know Congress has its hands full now with with serious issues, and there's the government shutdown, and there's all the various Trump-related investigations. I, I... I have said for years that the biggest concern the NFL should have is that at some point Congress gets involved, especially as gambling becomes more and more prevalent, legal gambling, and Congress says you have a mess and you either clean it up yourself or we're going to clean it up for you. That's what the NFL should be concerned about. And the ultimate worst case scenario would be the establishment of an agency that would be responsible for oversight of the NFL. The NFL doesn't want that. The NFL wants to determine its own business. It does not want somebody else telling the NFL its business. 321 J. Christ, any chance the Steelers come back around and sign Le'Veon Bell after trading AB? None whatsoever. Buffalo Guy 83, will coordinators ever make more money than the head coach? Do you think Josh McDaniels would make more money than some of the head coaches in the league? Now, I don't think a coordinator would ever make more than the head coach, although it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't 
Jason Garrett making like more than Wade Phillips or close to it. Remember that? There was a quote from Wade Phillips about how disrespectful it was. Whatever Jason Garrett was making was disrespectful to Wade Phillips. I can't remember whether Garrett was making more, but there have been situations like that. I just can't imagine that becoming prevalent. Now, is Josh McDaniels making more than some head coaches? Probably. Probably. There's no salary cap for coaches. There's collusion when it comes to coaches' pay, I believe. I think that that it has been held back artificially by a loose agreement of the teams not to blow out the curve. You think about how much value a coach has. If you've got mid-level quarterbacks out there worth $20 million a year, what's Bill Belichick worth? 50 right? And here's the thing. Because there's no salary cap, like there's no way to know what Bill Belichick really makes. Is there? Is there any way to know? He makes whatever Robert Kraft wants to pay him. Leapers 500, what was it like for you when you left the big firm to put out your own shingle as a lawyer? Did you feel the need to get out of the big firm life? Did you see yourself as a country lawyer? Did working for yourself reward those needs? Here's here's what ultimately happened. I may have talked about this before. Let me give you the nutshell version of it. Once I became what they call an equity partner, see, at some of these firms, they have two levels of partner. There is non-equity partner, which is essentially non-partner, and there's equity partner, which means you are a partner. A non-equity partner is somebody who's still an employee who holds no equity and doesn't share in the profits. They just pay you whatever they give you. An equity partner has a piece of the business. Now, ultimately, you're paid whatever the executive committee or whatever you want to call it ends up deciding to pay you, but at least you feel like you own part of it. So once I got to the highest level at the firm I was working at, I was 32, going on 33, and I looked around and... I saw that, you know, like, because here's what happens. If you're goal-oriented, type A, goal-oriented, you come into a law firm and you, okay, what, do I, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to make partner. We're competing with other associates to become partner. So you work and you work and you work and you do the things you think you're supposed to do to get to partner and you climb that hill. And it's, it's an objective. It's an, it's, it's an agenda item. Every day you're doing something to try to enhance your chance of becoming a partner. And then you become a partner. You get to the top of the mountain. You look around like, all right, what now? I'm 32 going on 33. What, what am I going to do? 33 years of what? 40 years of what? And you start to get pulled into management, and I'm not good with management. I'm not, I'm, and, and look, this, I, I guess I'm like Roger Goodell in that regard. I found the things I can't do, and I don't do them. I'm not, I'm not a big proponent of telling other people what they need to do. I'd like to think people can figure out on their own what they need to do. Adults who mean well, right? Now, if, if there's somebody who wants to come to me and ask me, Hey, you know, I got a question here. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to work hard. I'm trying to get ahead. Can you have, do you have any advice on how I should handle this situation? That's one thing. But to, to like hover over somebody and say, you should be doing this differently. I, I don't like that. You, you, the person either has it or they don't. And, and they can pretend they have it when they don't. But I just don't, I, I didn't like that. And I was starting to get pulled into management. I didn't want to be involved in management. And, and once you get kind of behind the curtain of partnership, you learn that, you know, there's a lot more dysfunction among the partners than they let you believe when you weren't a partner. And I just got to a point, I remember the day, it was October 17, 1999, the four-year anniversary of the day my mom died. I had an epiphany that I just got to get out of here. This isn't going to work for me for 30 years. I got to do my own thing. And there, there always had been that lure of of working on your own, you know, of, of representing individuals. And and and, and, and look, there's a, there's a financial incentive. The, the people who get paid salaries in the law and who go against the plaintiff's lawyers who get contingency fees, 
there's this resentment that they've got a cushy life and it's all easy and they get these gigantic fees. If you get a million dollar case, you get $300,000. And, you know, that's more than most of the lawyers who, who work by the hour get paid in a full year. And they think those million dollar cases are just falling out of the sky. And then you go and you do it and you realize it's a tough, rough, grind it out, scratch it out, good year, bad year, great year, shit year life. And there's no rhyme or reason to how much money you're going to make. Some years you're going to do well. Some years you're not going to do well. And, uh, you know, the only good thing, well, I mean, I enjoyed what I did it for nine years on my own, nine, almost 10 years. But the best thing that came out of it is it freed me up to tumble into this business. Isn't it weird to think? And this will be the 19 year anniversary, March 1 of me starting my own firm. But, you know, that, that nagging sense deep in your gut that you need to get out of the firm life and do your own thing, that it was ultimately leading me in this direction, whether I knew it. And I had no idea at the time. I remember thinking at the time that, you know, I'd like to get in some other type of business. I just didn't know what. And, uh, you know, shit happens. And shit definitely happened. El Marco lives. Why is Sky Sports playing Monday's PFT Live today? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they didn't play it yesterday. I don't know. No idea. No idea. Maybe they... I, I, I have no idea. Maybe there was a technical error. No idea. But thanks for watching it, though. Matthew Farley, with all the coaching vacancies filled, who is currently on the hot seat. I haven't thought about it yet. Let, let's let's put a pin in that. All right, all right no. Nah, let's put a pin in it. We'll, we'll look at hot seats later. Jason Garrett, apparently, still on the hot seat. Sean Alvishar, how do you think the OPI legitimacy story will affect the Rams, especially next week in Atlanta when it's all they're going to be asked about? You mean DPI, I assume, right? But uh, yeah, I, I think they're eventually going to get pissed. I think they're eventually going to feel like the legitimacy of their Super Bowl berth is being questioned and undermined. And, you know, Sean McVay talked about it yesterday. And look, he's 32 going on 33. And I, I wish he would have been more blunt about the benefit that the Rams got from that bad call. He tried to paint with a broad brush and say, well, there was the Jared Goff face mask, and there's always going to be things like that. But, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, you don't want things like that to happen. Whether it benefits you or whether it screws you, you don't want it to happen. And I think the Rams will get sick of being asked about it, just like the Patriots are, are going to get sick of hearing about the taping, allegedly, of the walkthrough of the Rams prior to Super Bowl 36. And I think some of these folks, Marshall Falk, Kurt Warner, they're going to be talking about it. Oh, we were just asked a question. We just answered the question. But I I think that that's going to get stirred up again, and it's going to piss the Patriots off. So the Rams are going to be pissed about the legitimacy of their Super Bowl berth being questioned by this uncalled pass interference. And the Patriots are going to be pissed because the legitimacy of their Super Bowl from 17 years ago still being questioned by the Rams, even though... Right, Most of these players will have been in grade school or middle school or maybe high school at the most, other than Tom Brady, at the time that that game happened. All right, I got to wrap this up. Let's see what else we have here. And yeah, I should probably just wrap it up. Let me, let me try to find one, one more. Here, Terry Gensler, 14. Do you remember saying the Rams brought in Dante Fowler for the big moment? He came through in that capacity, forcing the Breeze OT interception. I vaguely recall it. I mean, that was the idea, right? And that's what that defense does. I said last week, the Rams have the best bad defense I've ever seen in that they, they have a knack for making a big play when they need it. They otherwise bend and break, but they find that, that signature moment to make a big play. Now, some have pointed out, and go back and watch it, it looks like Dante Fowler delivers a forcible blow to the head of Drew Breeze on that play. You know, Saints fans are so locked on to the uncalled pass interference. There maybe was an uncalled roughing the passer. I may have to write about that. Wouldn't that have been the ultimate makeup call? 
give the Saints that one, extend that drive. Hey, how, how upset could Rams fans be? They already got a gift to be in overtime in the first place. All right, let's call it right there. We're going to take uh, a break of about 24 hours. I'm thinking that I'm PFT Live. The question about PFT Live got me thinking I was on the air. Or maybe I'm just kind of, I don't know, tired and and uh, uh, old, hungry, sleep-deprived, food-deprived, liquid-deprived, just deprived all around. I'm going to call it a night, and we'll get back to work on PFT. We'll have PFT Live tomorrow morning. We've got Chris Sims. Also, the, the sources close to me tell me Big Cat may be back tomorrow. The three-man weave edition coming up on Wednesday, and uh, and plenty more. We'll do another PFT PM either Wednesday or Thursday. I don't want to commit to Wednesday now. Maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. We'll see how the flow of the news goes tomorrow. It could be a slow, quiet day tomorrow. At a minimum, we'll do one Thursday. Friday, I can't do one because I am going to see Jerry Seinfeld for the first time ever. He's appearing at the Capitol Music Hall in my hometown of Wheeling, West Virginia. My son and I are making the drive up. My wife doesn't want to go because... We're leaving for the Super Bowl on Sunday, and when you go to a city where the temperature may or may not be within a finite range, there's extra packing obligations because you have to be prepared for every possible contingency, so I'm told. So she's going to be doing the pre-packing on Friday, and my son and I are going to make the trip to see Jerry Seinfeld. We're probably going to leave a little early and get a little something to eat beforehand. The show's at 7, so probably no PFTPM on Friday. But I don't know, maybe I'll do one just because I'll be so excited and keyed up. I, I'll feel like I want to I talk about it. But I'm uh, looking forward to that on Friday, heading to Atlanta on Sunday. There will be at least one more PFT PM this week, possibly two. We'll see how the day goes tomorrow. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Thanks, as always, for your support. Have a great night. You can find the PFT PM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.